Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. From the Apostrophe Podcast Network. They all come from the unknown north. Talent, drive, and a pride worth paying for. But just because they're above the 49 parallel, it doesn't mean we shouldn't celebrate them just as well. So give it up to these Canucks Because our self-promotion sucks And if they all went away We sure would miss them The Canadian Star System Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Canadian Star System, a podcast which shines the spotlight on Canadian stars who then shine their spotlights on other Canadian stars, and eventually everyone is lit. Now, today's episode is a special one because in the interests of everyone's shrinking attention span, it's shorter than our other episodes. We have only one guest. And this is also not an official episode because season one is done and season two doesn't start for another couple months. So this is our in-between episode of the holiday season. And speaking of holidays, I couldn't possibly do this show without my producer and co-host Diana Francis, whom I informed would not be able to officially start her holiday until we did this. Hi, Diana. Hello, Steve. It's nice to see you again. It's lovely to see you as well. And I, I kind of cheat. I'm sort of slightly on holiday. Right. So if I sound a little bit different, it's because I'm not in my podcast professional setup. I'm elsewhere using old school iPhone headphones. Well, you sound all right to me so far. Excellent. Where are Thank you coming you. to us from? Can you disclose that? I am coming to you from a bedroom in Calgary. Okay. That's <laughs> definitely not too specific. Thank you. You know what? Listen, I got a question for you. I always yeah. do. My question to you is with 2021 pretty much officially in the books now, what was your best mistake of 2021? What would you say was your best mistake? My best mistake. My best mistake. Well, 
probably dropping a lot of money on a new chair for my home office, thinking at the moment that this is a, this is a terrible waste of money because the pandemic's almost over. And now I am so grateful that I have a really good office chair because it's been better on my back and I feel like I'm going to be spending a lot more time in it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was an, that was an optimistic thought you put in the middle of that. As we, as we speak now, no, still no one's sure when the end of this time that we're living in is going to be, but I sure hope it's soon. Steve, what would you say your best mistake of 2021 was? Um, well, I've been thinking about this for some time, Diana, uh, because as you know, not all my thoughts are spontaneous. I think, <laughs> I think my best mistake of 2021 is a weekly column that I write called the Pattersonian. And the only reason I think of it as a mistake, I think it was great to have a writing exercise every week to do, to, to give myself a deadline, to put it out there. We have a, a nice little, little group of subscribers that look forward to it every week. So that's nice. The reason it was a mistake is because I decided I will release it on Sunday mornings and I am a huge procrastinator. So that means I've taken my Saturdays away to do this column, which my wife is not super happy about. So I will continue doing a weekly article next year, but it will not be released on Sunday mornings and take my Saturday away. I learned. I can learn, Diana. Well, that's uh, see, that's makes it a that's why it's a best mistake. And not That's the worst right. mistake. But uh, enough about us. You know, our guest today is an extremely important one, uh, especially for us, not just because he is one of the most respected and popular marketing minds in Canada and the world. He's also an amazing speaker, a radio and podcast host, and the author of the new book, My Best Mistake. What a perfect segue. <laughs> He's also, though, the head of the Apostrophe Podcast Network that we are a very proud part of, which makes him officially our boss, Diana. So we are interviewing our boss today. And depending on how this goes, it might be our last one. So let's try to make it a good one. Here he is, the man who keeps us under the influence by never skipping over important details, Mr. Terry O'Reilly. Yay! Hello, Steve and Diana. How are you? Hello, good sir. Thank you for having us as part of this beautiful podcast family, first of all. Well, we love having you. You look fantastic today. You've got a bookcase behind you that you're one of the few people I believe has probably read all those books on your bookcase behind you. So well done. Room Raider, 10 out of 10, I got to say, right out of the gate. That is, this is my writing shed we're in right now. So <laughs> this this used to be, this was a tool shed, a hundred year old tool shed that was leaning and about to fall down. So we t- took it down, used the wood from this hundred year old building and then rebuilt it into a little writing shed for me. And those are all marketing books behind of me. Of course they are. So wow. that feeds the show, Steve. <laughs> wow. And not so not only do you have uh, an amazing writing shed, but then you also have the Airstream trailer where you do your recordings, which I am- Terstream. Terstream. Uh, ter- Airstream. Uh, the Terstream. I am so jealous of that situation you have because I love Airstreams so much. <laughs> you know what? I love them. I've always loved them too. Not, I'm not a trailer guy. I wouldn't- go vacationing in a trailer, but I've always loved Airstreams aesthetically. Mm-hmm. Like just the aluminum look of them. They haven't changed since the 30s. Here's a great fact about Airstreams. 70% of Airstreams are still on the road since the 1930s because wow. wow. they don't rust. So we, uh, as you may know, we uh, had ours restored and transformed into a recording studio and we love Amazing. it. We're going to get more into that later, but I just want to thank you first of all, because now I understand it's Terrestream, which is for Terry. I was like, why is it called Terrestream? 
Does that have to do with Earth? <laughs> so I apologize right. that I'm not a smarter host. Listen, Terry, Diana's going to go in depth for a few questions about your latest work, My Best Mistake, the book, first of all. But I love the, of course, every good book has to have a good statement right out of it. And the statement that comes from My Best Mistake is it promises to change how you think about screwing up, which is which is salvation for people like me who screw up a lot. Um, my first question to you, sir, where in the, I'm sure, short list of your own mistakes does having this podcast on your podcast network rank? Where is it up near the top? <laughs> so very high. No. <laughs> we love having you. We said that. We love having you. Love it. Love the show. Well, I love working with you. Well, thank you. No further questions. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> I have been loving the book, My Best Mistake. You know, when a book comes to you at the right time for the right reasons, because it really feels like right now, literally this week before Christmas, everybody seems to be in the mud. Everybody on social media, like just with, with what's happening right now, all of my friends that I'm keeping in touch with, it seems like everybody is really stuck in the mud, including myself. And it's been such a great read because we forget how important mistakes can be. And I come from an improv background where, you know, we were taught through improv that mistakes are gifts, but we forget about that all the time. And I'm, my first question to you, Terry, is what happens? Why, like, why do we forget that mistakes can be gifts? Because when we're kids, we make mistakes all the time. We're constantly learning, but then it feels like we get to a point somewhere as adults where we don't think we're allowed to make mistakes anymore. Like, what, where does that come from? Well, I'd have to say that we're awful hard on ourselves as a rule, I think. I don't know if it's our generation or just the zeitgeist. We're in a cancel culture right now, too. So if you make a big mistake, you can easily lose everything. So there's that hanging over all of us. I think we're, we're too hard on ourselves as a rule. I think we torture ourselves over our mistakes, especially career mistakes, because you can you know, you make a, a bad decision and you seem to go sideways in your career. People either run away from mistakes like that or they disappear into the ether. They stop pursuing their goals or their dreams because they're so devastated by that error in, in, in their career ladder. And then they just stop. And I think the one thing, the one connective piece of tissue between all those 24 chapters, Diana, in that book is that people didn't run away from their mistakes. They owned them. They muscled through the pain. And then on the other side, there was an incredible opportunity sitting right there in the middle of the mistake that they took advantage mm -hmm. of. And I think that's the inspiring part. Owning the mistake is huge too. And it's been a mantra of mine this year in particular, and pardon the language, but my, mo my mantra this year has been, own your shit. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. Admit <laughs> when you make a mistake and fix it mm -hmm. and try and learn from it. And I often wonder too, if like, is part of our education system the way that we are we have to strive to get an A to be the best at things in our education system? Yeah. Do you think that that has something to do with the why when we're when we become adults we're afraid to make mistakes? I think so too. I mean, I grew up in the I was growing up uh, in the Catholic school system where, you know, the nuns love to take out the ruler. <laughs> And Steve, you grew up in that, didn't you? They yeah, used to measure measure a lot of stuff <laughs> in my school, Terry. <laughs> you know, got a lot, a lot of wraps on the knuckles back yep. in those days. So you're right. I mean, you're probably right. Instilled in us very early is this fear of, of messing up. Yeah. Fear equals pain. Yeah. It's so inspiring to read some of these stories 
I mean, there's the ones that in the book that are sort of the well-known ones that we've all sort of remember from the zeitgeist, like the Dixie Chicks, speaking their mind, yeah. speaking their truth, and then the way that they sort of were almost the first big victims of the cancel culture, and then sort of seeing how yeah. that comes. But I also love the stories, too, of the really the embracing small mistakes, like the fact that the logo of the skidoo was supposed to be ski dogs. Ski dog. <laughs> And like, just like how a small mistake like that could, you could be thrown off completely and spend a ton of money fixing it and get mad at the designer. Well, yeah. Or you can go, oh, that kind of makes me laugh. Let's run with it and see how it goes. Mm-hmm. See, I would have, I probably would have been furious with that mistake because mm-hmm. he was launching his first, Bombardier was launching his first snowmobile. It was this incredible piece of machinery. It was really rev- evolutionary and revolutionary. And then all his launch material came back with that typo yeah. in it. And then huh. we looked at it and said, it's ski dog. It's supposed to be dog sled, was a mechanical dog sled, right? <laughs> and he looks at ski do and he goes, I like it. Because <laughs> it sounded like ski daddle and it sounded interesting. And he could trademark that word where he probably couldn't have trademarked, you know, ski dog, because it's hard to trademark existing words in the dictionary, right? So it all worked out and it became one of the greatest brand names in that category. And ironically, uh, one of two trophies I've ever won in my life, I won a trophy for snowmobiling. So, you know, <laughs> along with typing. Oh, stop it with the typing. I knew I had no more talk of the typing. We get it, Diana. It's been so long. Uh, uh, that's fascinating to me that, you know, a mistake ends up being a household multi-million dollar brand now and i know there's other examples of that in in the book as well my main question is just the concept of you know what is what is a mistake and you know how how long do you let it go down the line when i think of mistakes i think of planning and there's some people that meticulously plan and if they don't reach any guidepost along the way then they're very frustrated with themselves they think of themselves as a failure whereas Especially in the arts, I find people, you know, you're experimenting all the time. And, and a lot of guests that we've had on the show from, from Fred Penner talking about going into children's music, which was not part of his plan, to Rick Mercer's right. talking to Americans coming completely as a result of an American talking to him and not trying to be funny. And then he gets this amazing show out right. of it. So I, I guess, I know, you know, the whole concept of the book is probably embrace your mistakes. But how, how do you know how far along to go? Did you find that in your research? <laughs> Well, that's a hard one to answer. I think everybody in that book had a different time in purgatory, you know, right. when, the, when they made their mistake. The Dixie Chicks were a couple of years. Steven Spielberg, when he, when he, everything went wrong on the Jaws shoot, which everybody knows that story. But I thought what was interesting, which I uncovered in the research for that was the mistake he made was he didn't test the shark out in salt water. <laughs> He'd only tested it in fresh water. So that's why it all went wrong on him. He had an epiphany that one night in his hotel room where he said he was panicking. Nothing was working. He was on location in Martha's Vineyard with his crew and his cast, three expensive mechanical sharks that weren't working. And then he asked himself this interesting question. He said, what would Hitchcock do? Mm. Hmm. And when he reframed the problem like that, it came to him that what we can't see is the most terrifying thing of all. And then, of course, he didn't show the shark. The sharks, we only see the shark for four minutes. In that film, like the whole shark for four minutes. But so that came to him in a moment. So there's one moment of fixing a problem. And the Dixie Chicks were probably two years, you know, being blackballed and banned from country radio. So 
the other one that I really loved too is a story with Seth MacFarlane because you tell the whole story of his career and how he started so young, wanting to be an animator and a cartoonist. Right. And then it's literally the last sentence of that whole chapter, spoiler alert, but this is also a story that many people know, that he was hungover, missed a flight, and that flight was one of the planes that went down in 9-11. Wow. That's right. right. The whole wow. Seth MacFarlane empire, because he's created an empire. Yeah would not exist if he had not made the mistake of getting drunk and, and, and oversleeping and missing his yeah. flight. So that's like a mistake with an immediate ramification. Right. Uh, there's something I wanted to read too, because this really, really resonated with me. And this is, this is sort of how you wrap up the book. And it was so smart. And I'm going to take this with me as I try to unstick myself from- um, Her co-host on this show. <laughs> <laughs> a, a situation that I'm dealing with in my life, in my professional and friend life, where I'm trying to get through a very difficult situation. So I loved this. When an epic mistake feels like it might be career ending or debilitating or humiliating, when you feel like you may have lost your credibility, your livelihood, or even your sanity, it might be destiny preparing you for what you've asked for all along. Just remember to ask one question. What is the hidden gift? And that's such a smart thing because when you're when you're stuck in the mud and you feel like you have nothing to hang on to, that line, just remember to ask one question, what is the hidden gift? It just gives that little bit of hope and trust it that the universe has a plan for you in some way and that you will come out of the mud and something better will happen on the other side. And when you're in it, when you're so stuck in it, it's so hard to remember that there is another side to a mistake or a, a bad situation. I think that that is the great insight in that book is that probably in your darkest moment, you should start looking for the gift rather than just wallowing. Like when it just seems like it is that you're in the darkest part of that tunnel. If that's the point where you go, okay, I'm going to calm down. What, now, what is the opportunity? If you can get there mm -hmm. in your mind, I think you'll be amazed at what you'll find. Like I, I say in the book, peel the problem like a banana. Because sitting at the heart of the problem is the opportunity. Mm -hmm. But you just have to have, you have to recalibrate your thinking in that moment, which is not easy to do because you feel so wounded and so, you know, uh, hobnailed and so, you know, uh, kneecapped by the problem that you stop looking for that gift. Mm -hmm. This, I mean, this is an important, important way of thinking, not just book for, for right now, because as Diana mentions, you know, this is collective now. People have been hampered and paralyzed by this pandemic that we're still in as as I say this and you know I if this plays in 2 years I hope people don't even know what pandemic means anymore but know. but right now we are in the middle of it and I think it's a really important important point to look for the silver lining and make it an opportunity because it's been a, a whole year for so many people of disappointments that uh you know they need to try to find that and so uh, I love that there's hope in this book. Now, can, can I jump just one second? This is I have this with me just to prove that I have it. This has become my Bible. This is called This I Know, Terry's previously book. Previous book, sorry. This book has one of my favorite quotes in it. The book, as as everyone who reads Terry knows, it's got amazing insights on marketing. But this one in particular makes makes you present yourself as a company, really, right? It's it's for right. entrepreneurs that you know can't get multi-million dollar marketing campaigns and teams to, to think like a marketer themselves. And this is a great quote. Good marketing makes a company look smart. Great marketing makes a customer look smart, which right. I got immediately, which makes 
makes me smart. So <laughs> if we could just talk marketing in general for a second, yeah. how much of marketing is putting the power in the customer's hands? Is it another way of saying the customer is always right or is it it's something different? To me, it means always creating your marketing from the customer's point of view. In other words, the problem that most advertisers have is they fall too in love with their product. Their nose is right up against the glass. And great marketing is about looking at the product from the customer's point of view, getting outside your building as an advertiser and looking back in your window. And that's what I think a lot of marketers always lose sight of is they 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 talk about us, we, us, we, and it should be, this does this for you. This is how this fits in your life. Here's why you should consider it next time you're in the category of buying this product. So it's always about just looking at the product from the other end of the telescope. And the the insight, which seems simple once you say it, but it, it doesn't occur to everyone, is have a real good think about what your product actually is. Your, you know, your quote unquote product. If you're if you're selling Coca Cola, are you actually selling Coca Cola? Or are you selling something more? And Coca Cola's, you know, obviously done a pretty good job of marketing a, a sugary syrup. That's the first chapter in my book, right, Steve? Is what business are you really in? Yeah, what business are you in? Right. Because, you know, as as I say that, you know, Nike isn't in the business of selling running shoes. They're in the business of selling motivations. Like, you know, if you have a body, you're an athlete. That's basically their story, right? And Michelin Tires isn't selling tires. They're selling safety. So you have to know what people are really buying. It's never the product. And I I say in the book, uh, people don't buy three-quarter inch drill bits. They buy three-quarter inch holes. (laughs) (laughs) So you have to understand exactly what it is you're selling. Because if you can create your message around what they're buying, then you have an effective message. If you're selling them, if you're creating your message about about what the product is, it's not an effective message. Again, it seems simple when you say it, but there's so many, you know, there's so much bad marketing, and we, you know, advertising now is so is so tough, right? Because people they yeah. stream things. They don't have to watch commercials anymore. Very right. few pick up actual print publications anymore. They can stream past the banner ads mm-hmm. that are on the internet. So it's, it has to still be working because advertising is paying for all these things that are online. But I guess uh, my main question to you is, how do you save yourself from making a bad ad for whatever it is that you're trying to promote or sell, whether it's yourself or a product or a business that you're in? In in these living in these times we're living in now, you know, how do you make a good attention capturing ad when when the attention span of humans is literally less than a goldfish right now? I don't know if I buy that. I know everybody says it's that science, Terry. It's science. I've, I'm I a know, scientist. I, well, you know what I mean. Like I point to movies. Movies are still two hours long. Yeah, I mean they haven't shrunk down to thirty seconds or seventy five seconds. I think if you have a great story, you will always have a great audience. Marketing has to be bold. It has to be a little bit outrageous. You have to, you know, put that message out there in a, in a fresh way. With social media, you don't need to spend dollars. You can, but you don't have to. It's really about spending time. Television's still a powerful medium. It's not in a, ineffective. It's just inefficient because it's hard. You know, it's harder to find a small little audience on television because everything's so broad. Steve Jobs never advertised digitally, by the way. Hmm. He always chose television and billboards, mm. which I always thought was such an interesting thing from a digital visionary. He went old mm. school on all his marketing when he That's was alive. And uh, yeah, and I, I think it speaks to the reach of television and the simplicity of his message, which always worked on a billboard. And if you look at Apple's messages, by the way, Steve, 
every commercial Apple has ever created shows one person achieving something. It's never a group. It's never a company. Hmm. It's one person. Because that was Steve Jobs' entire mantra was, I'm taking the computer, the computer power that IBM wants to hoard and give to corporations, and I'm giving it to you, the individual. Hmm. And he said that from 1984, that famous commercial yeah. that you can YouTube, which is called 1984. From that point on, that's always been Apple's message, right? Because he's selling the, the, the three-quarter inch hole. He's not selling the drill bit, right? And I've noticed listening to a lot of podcasts that you know, the advertising will come in and you have mm-hmm. the ability to skip 10 seconds. Yeah. I just want to write an ad where every 10 seconds, you just scream the name of the of the product <laughs> so that like whatever narrative that that 30 second or 60 second ad is it's punctuated by every if you actually skip it i'm just you're just going to hear my voice screaming the name that's the whole problem and task and challenge with advertising it's so easily skippable in this day and age in in podcasts on television and online there's more ad avoidance technology than there has ever been right so, I mean, so all the more challenge and, and opportunity to make great ads, right? To make yeah. an ad that has a reward for listening to the ad, let alone the product. So I'm, right. I'm absolutely with you on that. Let me ask you this quickly, and it's not a quick question, but we don't have you for long today because you have to, you're running a whole podcast network for God's sakes. It's amazing that we got this time. <laughs> Your show under the influence, obviously, very popular CBC radio show, very popular podcast, spurred you on to create an entire podcast network, Apostrophe. And, you know, I have to ask, now with your show being a radio show and a podcast show, what are the differences, if there are any? And now that the world is full, over full of podcasts, is there still opportunity in the podcast game? What what are the most important things to do? I'm asking for me, because I have this (laughs) podcast that we're on right now, and we'd love to more people to hear it. Well, the great thing about podcasts over radio shows is there's no time limit, right. which is always yeah. so brutal because my show is 27 minutes and 30 precise seconds long. CBC insists on it being precise. So, I mean, I always have to tr- you know, trim my stories. The first pass of my show is always long. Right. So, you know, my engineer will go, you're, you're, you're two minutes and 30 seconds long, and now i got to start trimming all this or take out an entire story. So we try and leave that into the podcast. So our podcast listeners get more show, actually, than our on-air listeners. Mm-hmm. I have great music on air that I can't use in podcasts. I'll have the Beatles and the Stones and Jack White and the, you know, because CBC pays the music royalties, but you can't use needle drop music in podcasts. It's right. illegal. So it's a better listening experience on air than it is in a podcast. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a little trade-off in both ways. Your second part of your question is, I think there's a huge opportunity, even though there's 2 million podcasts on Apple you know, and Google right now, it's so hard to do a great podcast. It is so difficult to do a great podcast, to do the research, to find the interviewees, to do a great interview, to edit it well, to produce it well. That's why I think there's only, well, I know there's only a handful of shows that really even break a certain threshold of of listeners per week. And that just shows you how difficult it is. Two million podcasts never bothered me. Even when, you know, when people, screenwriters in Hollywood say, you know, but Hollywood gets 100,000 scripts a year reined in on them. Yeah, six of them are good. (laughs) So I've never thought that the big numbers were scary. I actually think they work in your favor at the end of the day, if your product is really good. And speaking of your podcasts, 
I really enjoy We Regret to Inform You, mm -hmm. which is the rejection podcast, yeah. which sort of lives in the same world as your book, because the rejection podcast is all about people who were told no, and then had yeah, to right. overcome that no. It's not quite a mistake, but it's a similar thing. It's very inspirational yeah. as far as like... It's the other end of the telescope, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which, which is, you know, it also really makes you feel like, you know, when you're listening to Sandra O. Oh, talk about how she wasn't able to get where she needed to go within Canada because the doors weren't opening for her, how then she goes to the States and makes it huge. You're kind of like, okay, it gives you that little boost of motivation because you can sort of see how a person's journey can happen with clothing, closing doors all the time. Yeah. And you can still get to where you want to go. So many of us, in, I think everybody in their career gets so many no's. In, in in trying to get now that that show is interesting because we regret to inform you is this is a show about people with a dream and then the show stops when they make it mm -hmm. in other words mm -hmm. it doesn't it doesn't talk about their success the show ends the second they get their big break because it's it's trying to break through to get that big break which is the biggest struggle in your career mm -hmm. is like i i kid but it's true i sent out 60 resumes trying to get my first advertising job and I got 61 rejection letters. Like one place rejected me twice. That's how little they wanted me. I mean, it's just, you can't even get your first foot in the door in any business. It's just so hard. So when you look at somebody famous and wealthy and rich and you think, oh, they have it made, but what did it take to get there? What was, what were the beats of their story? What, how did they rebound from 10 networks saying, we hate your idea? And then that same idea becomes one of the biggest hit shows of the year somewhere else. How does that happen? Yeah. So that's what we explore. I love that. I, love I was that. sitting in, uh, this is apropos of nothing. Yeah, I haven't asked this, but I was sitting in the BBDO offices doing a job interview in my advertising days. And I was showing my, you know, my portfolio, my spec book. And the, one of the creative directors who was kind enough to meet with me was looking at my, my book and he said, you know, this is great stuff, but we need stuff that's better than this stuff you see around here. And he showed me all the award-winning ads from BBTO. And I said, I said to him, if I could write ads better than these, I'd be interviewing you, which he <laughs> liked, but I still didn't get the job. So right. you know, advertising is a tough game and there's a lot of a lot of egos in it. And but I, there's so many stories in it, which is why, you know, under the influence can keep going indefinitely, Terry. You're such a wealth of knowledge. It is, it's true. It's an industry that really spits out a lot of really great and interesting stories every day, every week around the world. And because my show kind of looks at the world of advertising, not just Canada or the U.S., the stories are endless. We'll be right back after the break. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And now, back to the show. I promised you we're going to stick to time, so I'm going to end the interview the way that we always end our interviews, which is with a bunch of quick questions. Quick questions! Okay. Terry, I'm going to put you on the spot, even though you're our boss, so (laughs) the next regret to inform you might be the Canadian Star System podcast, but (laughs) your favorite three podcasts to listen to right now. I'm going to pick ones outside of our network just to be just to make Just to make them Uh, feel okay, yeah. Yeah. I like the Bank Robber Diaries. It's a podcast where they interview an actual bank robber who robbed, and this is in current day, he robbed over 30 banks in Southern California, and he takes you through how he did it. He says, here's what I was wearing that day. Here's what I said to the bank teller. I had to park my car four blocks away, and then running with that much money in my in my pockets posed this kind of a problem. When the FBI caught on to me, here's how I had to outwit the, like it's, it's fascinating. Mm. And it's the actual robber that does it? Yeah, they, they, he did his time. He finally got arrested, spoiler alert by the FBI, (laughs) went to jail, did his time, but he, but he's out now. And then, and he's a really great storyteller. Like his his insight into how you rob a bank and what he had to go through. It's uh, I would listen. It's to like that. passing a a car accident. You have to just stare wow. at. And do do you think they're like, tracking the people that listen to it as perspective <laughs> perspective bank well, robbers? <laughs> that's the big joke about that. Is and I'm, I believe they actually asked that question. Is this is like a how to course for bank robbers? Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Except he got caught. It's, so yes, he got caught. At the yes, end. he yeah. did get caught. Another one I'm listening to now is called "The Plot Thickens." 
and you guys would love this one because it's done by uh, the Turner uh, Turner Classic Movies and and uh, Ben Mankiewicz who does who always hosts you know Turner Classic Movies. He always comes on screen and tells a great story about the movie you're about to see. He has a, a great podcast out now. The first series is about Peter Bogdanovich, which is really great, and and season two is all about Lucille Ball. Oh, and he's a great storyteller, Ben, because his uncle, his father was uh, was the famous Mankiewicz in movies, and his I think his uncle wrote Orson Welles, Citizen Kane. Like he has a great Hollywood royalty lineage, so he knows what he's talking about. Mm. The other one I I like is a. Uh, I think it's called Against the Rules. I'm trying to think of the uh, host's name now because he took a break from it. I haven't heard it for a little while, but he wrote Moneyball. Michael. Okay. I love that movie. I love Michael, Moneyball. You know who I'm talking yes. about, right? Why can't, why can't I think of his I, last name? Anyway, he has one called Against the Rules. Um, Lewis? And he just, yes, Michael Lewis. Thank you. And it's a fascinating, he just looks at different aspects of life. I can give you an example. Why does it? Why does everybody hate referees in sports? And then he'll just get into the world of referees and how. Mm. And it's just this fantastic exploration of just the most interesting topics. And because his mind is so great, just the way he tackles stories like Moneyball, right. etc., is is fascinating. So those are three that I love right now. Well, those are three great recommends as far as I can see. And now I'm going to jump to the second quick question because that one wasn't that quick, but I did ask you. <laughs> wasn't that quick? No. What Canadian star? Do you think has the best brand right now? Ooh, there's a good question. Oh, I Thank know you. the answer to this. I would say Ryan Reynolds. That's the yes, answer. <laughs> I think so. I think so, probably, right? I mean, everything he's doing turning to gold, but for the right reasons. He's he's a philanthropist. Except for the Mr. Big ad he did. I didn't even see, I didn't that. see that, no. Well, very quickly, you know, there's a lot of spoiler alerts in this, folks. So Sex in the City is back for a reboot. Mr. Big dies in the first episode on a Peloton right, bike. Right. Peloton sales drop 5% the next day. Their right. stock price drops 5%. The very next day, because Ryan Reynolds is a master at fast-vertising, <laughs> does an ad about Mr. Big with Mr. Big in it. Yep. Like within, within 48 hours, he has it out. And then immediately after that, Two women accuse Mr. Big of sexual assault. Yeah, but that's not on Ryan, well, in fairness. I mean- No, it's no. not. No, no, no. But I mean, it's it's- he has really mastered, not only is he a great actor and very funny, yeah. so enjoyable, but he has an advertising agency called Maximum Effort. And mm. he has mastered the art of the 48-hour of the turnaround. And I think that has added to his brand just because his commercials become so famous right. and they're so outrageous and so timely that beyond his acting work, he has had this whole other aspect to his brand. Because things go by so quickly. Things go viral on uh, Twitter or, uh, you know, social media. And the, yeah, the fact that he can reply so quickly to the, the the thing that is super hot on Twitter right now is unbelievable. Yeah. And ad agencies can't usually work that fast. Can't really, There's too much bureaucracy in an ad agency to usually work mm -hmm. that fast. And he's a regular listener to the show. So again, Ryan, if we can squeeze you on in season two, we're going to give it a shot. All right, buddy. No promises. Gosling is already in. Last <laughs> question right. for you today, Mr. O'Reilly. What is, just as a light question, what is the best mistake that you have ever made? And I've been informed that if you answer your wedding, that Debbie will find you. She knows where you are. You're in the shed. She knows where I'm in. Yeah. At this moment. There's a red little beam right on my forehead. <laughs> I don't know if you read the dedication in my book, but let me just read it for you. I have it right here. The latest book. It says, uh, yeah, dedicated to the worst boss I ever had who taught me the best <laughs> lesson 
how not to do it. So when I was a young ad writer in my 20s, I had a succession of jobs before I started my own company when I was 29 in 1989. I had one job that was horrible. My boss hated me. He hated every piece of work I did. He never approved anything. He would, or he would take my ID and shave off all the corners and make it safe. I think he booed my car in the parking lot. Like he, I, and I, I stayed there for two years. And while I was there, I hated it. And when I left that to find another job, when I look back on that time, I thought it was the biggest mistake of my career that I'd wasted two full years of my ladder there. But when I started my own company, I realized that I had learned so much working at that terrible job because I learned how to inspire creative people because he never inspired me. I knew what I mm. needed that I never right. got. And I knew how to create a creative culture and how to nurture a creative culture, like all those things that he didn't give me. I was so hyper aware of them that I brought them to my own company. So I realized that was one of the best lessons I ever received. Well said, and thank you very much, Terry's former boss, for being an arsehole. <laughs> and now, Terry, the question that we ask everyone on this podcast, because it's literally the podcast name, the Canadian star system is... In need of bold executives. Oh, that is a good point. Mm, not is. surprising. Because I think that I know the talent is here. We all yeah. know that. It's just that getting people at that level to give get the green light, to give the green light. That is it. That is it. I hear you. I will apply to start my own network. And living next door to the United States is like? Yeah, there's a good question. <laughs> um, I think it's like, I think it's the mouse and the elephant. You just hope the elephant doesn't roll over. That's what I think that is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect. Of course it was perfect. That brings us to the end of today's interview, which is, uh, as I said, special episode as we head into the holidays. We're in them now. Terry, thank you so much for uh, being on here today, for having us as part of your podcast family. And best of success with the book, uh, My Best Mistake, which also, I have to say, has one of the best book covers I've ever seen. And it I know- does. I know not to judge a book by its cover, but this one uh, is the this rest of the book can. is just as good. Yeah, it's I won't give it away, but go find my best mistake because not getting it for someone or for yourself this holiday season would be your worst mistake. And that's the Segway <laughs> Award. Thank you very much, everyone. Well done. High fiving nobody. Thank you, Terry O'Reilly. Thank you, Terry. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everybody. The Canadian Star System is produced by Diana Francis and Steve Patterson in association with the Apostrophe Podcast Network. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit our website at canadianstarsystem.ca where you can find links to their work and their socials. Speaking of socials, you can follow at Canadian Star Pod and at Apostrophe Pod on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And be sure to subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Our editor and sound technician is Donovan Deschner of Fracture Ephemer Productions. Music by Mark Camilleri of Imagine Sound Studios. Special thanks to Terry O'Reilly, Debbie O'Reilly, Callie O'Reilly, and Nancy Patterson, who is an honorary O'Reilly. And since you're doing such a good job of listening to the credits, there's a bonus clip for you after Steve sings it out. So give it up for these good notes. Because I sell promotion
Hey everyone, Steve here. Uh, This episode officially came out just before Christmas 2021 and it wasn't all that Christmassy. So here's a whole Christmas song I wrote called Christmas Hello Goodbye. Have as merry a Christmas as possible under the circumstances. It's that time of year again for friends and family Family When we call each other, or at least send a text Merry Christmas emoji To remind ourselves who we used to spend time with Time with And make sure that our mom still loves us best I hear she likes me better And once as they want to be home for Christmas Obviously, that is not quite true Cause I've got other things to do Cause if everyone were in their own homes for Christmas Christmas We'd be like Macaulay Culkin In Home Alone Parts 1 and 2 Christmas time is the only time Where we pretend that everything is fine Just try Christmas! Hello, goodbye Except of course if you are a small child Oh, you just act that way Then this time of year is magical and wild I see no gifts, but that's okay There's an obese man in a big red suit Who will bring you gifts, so please act cute So much joy brought in such short time can't be Canada Post, must be Amazon Prime! Ooh, Amazon Prime. Really? No gift? I totally sent one. It must have gotten stolen off the porch. Yeah, right. And by the way, why is it called Christmas? Christmas! When it's about the birth of baby Jesus Christ. Seriously, it's stolen off the porch. You should not say Merry Christmas. Christmas! Or even Merry Christmas. Christmas! And if you meet a Jewish friend, well, just say something nice. Christmas time is the only time where we pretend that everything's just fine. Sung by creepy weird old guy. Look in the mirror. Christmas. Hello. Goodbye. Hello. Goodbye. Yeah. Often sung by the creepiest weird old guys. So Christmas. We're done. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.